Well, good morning. You guys doing all right? Awesome. Uh, for those of you that are visiting, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. And before we get into what we're talking about today, um, there's something that I really want to promote. Um, it is called Financial Peace University. I don't know if, how many of you all have taken Financial Peace University in here? Yeah. All right, excellent. There's another one starting next Sunday night at 6 o'clock. It is nine weeks long. Um, and uh, if you have never heard of Dave Ramsey, if you've never heard of Financial Peace University, it is fantastic. Probably the, one of the biggest stresses facing us today is financial. And Dave Ramsey's system is amazing. And the, the only question I ask, if you're like, well, I, I don't really know if I should take this. I don't, I, I'm not really sure. I think I'm doing all right. My one question is this. How much money over your life have you wasted? A lot. Yep. Everybody says that. When you, if, if you could only have, say, 10 to 20% of that back, what kind of financial situation would you be in right now? Okay, if, it's, if you are kind of embarrassed by your answer, sign up. You need to, get, you need to do it, all right? Now, John Kerry is sitting right back there. Raise your hand, John. Talk to him. There's a sign-up sheet back there. You can also go to DaveRamsey.com and sign up there. But class starts next Sunday at 6 p.m. And those of you that registered for our Thrivent Financial Budgeting uh, Workshop downstairs, don't forget about that. That is downstairs. Lunch provided. Please uh, make sure that you do that. All right. So that out of the way, we are in our series called 40 Days of Faith. And we're, this is session two, part two, faith when you have a past. All right. The main thing is that the past paralyzes you, but the faith in God energizes you. Uh, we're, guys, we're living in a very judgmental age. I don't know if you know that or not. We're living in a very judgmental age. The, the sociologists have called this time in America the new Puritanism. Guys, think about Puritans back in the 1700s, how harsh and judgmental they were and everything. We're in, in an age of the new Puritans. There are more people enforcing people's behavior and what they say and what they do than at any time, at least in my lifetime. You cannot say certain things. You cannot do certain things. You cannot have certain opinions or you will get blasted. You will get professional things uh, taken away from you, opportunities taken away from you. There's even a new sociological term for people that do that. They're called woke scolds. They're woke and they scold. And so that is, that is what's going on. Um, students have been de-admitted from colleges from social media posts they've had in the past. Um, politicians have been criticized for things they said 10, 15 years ago. If, if, it's, if it's online, someone's going to find it. They're going to dredge it up and they're going to use it against you because we are in a very judgmental time of life right now. And so everything from your past is now fair game in America. And it's not the church that's doing it. It's, it's, it's a secular society that is doing this. And so how do we do this with a culture that constantly brings up our past and everything? Are we simply victims of it? Well, there are three wrong responses to your past. The first one is this. It's just, I call it defeatism, self-destruction. I've seen people do this. When, when they, they look at their past, they look at the mistakes they've made, they make it, they look at what's going on, and they just kind of throw up their hands and they give up. They say, there's nothing I can do. I'm, I'm done. Uh, what's, the, what's the purpose? I, I see this in jails a lot when I go teach my Inside Out Dad class. This past Wednesday, I was teaching fatherhood class, and one of the guys told me he was going away for a long time on a murder charge. 
I said, murder? He goes, I, I, didn't, he goes, I didn't shoot anybody. He said, I, I, was, I was driving, and I fell asleep, and I hit a tree, and my girlfriend was killed, and I tested positive for drugs in my system. I hadn't, I hadn't, uh, uh, I hadn't, hadn't done them in, in, in a week or so, but they were still in my system, and I'm on trial for murder. And he goes, I'm, I'm, I'm done. There's no point in even trying, is what he said. And many people see the past like a kind of set of leg irons or a heavy backpack that they got to they got to carry around. And I, I was there are a lot of people that are that way right now. I was talking with a friend whose dad is a Vietnam veteran, and the Vietnam his his dad was a, a devout Christian man. And uh, and we were talking one day, and and he he said his dad won't go to church. And I said, why is that? Is he an atheist? He goes, no, no, no. He's a devout Christian man. He was actually planning on going into the ministry when he when he when he got out of school. And then he got drafted. And I said, so what's the problem? He said, well, my dad says that because of the things he did in Vietnam, there's no way that God could forgive him. He's openly said that he knows he's going to hell. He deserves to go there. And there's no point in even trying. Yes, there are people carrying those kind of burdens today. And I thought to myself, how horrible. He's living in his own self-constructed prison, not knowing about the grace of Jesus that is available to him. And if that is what you are doing today, that is the wrong response to your past, this defeatism, this kind of self-destruction. Um, the second wrong thing, and I see this a lot, and I just call this legalism. This is where a person has been so awful in the past, they swing the pendulum all the way over here and try to be as righteous as they can. The problem is, is that they become very, very, very judgmental of other people. The church in Galatia was dealing with this, and Paul uh, gave them the third degree for it. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 21, he said, I don't set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be a gain through the law, Christ died for nothing. In other words, if I could... If I could uh, do things well enough to earn God's favor, I wouldn't need Jesus. <clears throat> but uh, the person responding like this will get very self-righteous and very judgmental. I don't know if you've met folks like this. As a matter of fact, when I see somebody who is very critical and judgmental and self-righteous, I always wonder what's in that person's past. I really do. Uh, the more someone harps on what everyone else is doing wrong, the more I realize that person's trying to atone for something that he or she did in the past. Or that they're dealing with right now. They were all the way, as I said, on the bad side. Now they're all the way on the good side. And they're making sure that everybody knows it. I was uh, on a mission trip with, a, 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 with an organization. They sent an intern. He wasn't part of our group, and he wasn't part of our youth group. But I was, I was on a mission trip with him. And, and this guy, was, uh, he was a Bible college student. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and uh, he was... Uh, uh, learning a little bit about him, he'd struggled with a lot of drug addiction and, and everything, and he got saved, and now he's going to the ministry. And the entire 14-hour trip to Pascagoula, Mississippi, he told me what was wrong with everybody else, how no one else knew what was going on, no one else knew the truth, he knew the truth, he knew it, and, and everyone else was wrong. This is a 20, 21-year-old guy, knew all the answers to life. And... Uh, and I, I, was, I, I quickly realized that he was in this category, that he was running from the things he had done. He'd gone all the way over to this side and tried to make sure that everybody knew that he was on this side now. And quite honestly, by day two, we were ready to send him home. We couldn't stand him. So self-righteous and so judgmental of everyone else. That's not what someone who's experienced the grace of Jesus Christ does, y'all. 
And then, then uh, there, there's the, the third wrong response. I've seen this in church. I just call it cheap grace. Um, Jude chapter 1, uh, verse 4. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and, and Lord. And then there's a person who has sin in their daily life and they know that their past is wrong and they're like, well, what I'll do, I'll just change what I believe to be right and wrong so that I'm okay. Cheap grace. The, the person responding like this will just affirm everyone. Someone is in a, a toxic relationship where they're being moved away from Jesus Christ. Oh, that's wonderful. Someone is, is a, a battling drug addiction and everything. Oh, you're fine. You're fine. God loves you. You know, we'll just affirm people all the time, even if they're walking off a cliff called cheap grace. And what's wrong with affirming people? Well, well nothing if you're affirming people, things that are good. But if you're affirming someone in their sin, making them as, as comfortable as possible on their road to hell, you're in the wrong. I, I was uh, a youth minister down in, in Tennessee when a, a girl got, um, uh, got caught, got arrested at school, one of my youth group kids, for taking drugs at school. And, uh, and the family came in uh, to, to an elders meeting. And, uh, and one of the elders was, was like, well, we, we understand. We, we just want to let you know that you're, you're okay and that you're affirmed and that, 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 you know, that we love you and all this kind of stuff. And all the elders, you know, nodded their heads. And I said, excuse me, I, I said, I completely agree that we affirm you and that we love you. I said, but Hannah, there's something wrong here that made you go to this? Do you understand if you continue in this, what's going to happen to you? Do you understand what addiction does? Do you see that? And the angry faces on the elders told me I should shut up, that I should not have said that. And when the family left, I got reamed for being callous for being uh, for shaming for 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 being mean to this day this girl is still struggling with addiction to this day she's in her 30s now and instead of calling a sin a sin and getting her help instead of we just affirmed her in her sin and now she's a full-blown addict guys we cannot embrace self-defeat we cannot embrace legalism we cannot embrace cheap grace we cannot do that with our past so what do we do since we don't wallow in self-defeat we don't swing the pendulum all the way we don't excuse sin in the name of affirmation what do we do well we got two things remember that the past will paralyze you but the faith in god energizes you the first thing we do is that we learn the lesson and we gain wisdom everybody say wisdom Wisdom, we gain wisdom, we learn from our past. We don't let it shackle us and we don't excuse it, we learn from it, we gain wisdom. Look what Philippians 3, 13 through 14 says, this is beautiful. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Um, I was a psych major at Center College back in 1996, psych and history. And one of the studies that we, that it was really pretty amazing. Uh, it, was, it was by, by a psychologist named Hans Ising. 
And he was one of the, he did one of the classical studies in the field of counseling and therapy. And he found this. If you are emotionally messed up, if you have problems, um, and you go to a psychoanalyst, you have a 44% probability of being well at the end of a year. If you go to a psycho, psychotherapist, excuse me, you have a 53% chance of being well at the end of a year. If you go to a psychiatrist, you have a 61% chance of being well at the end of a year. And if you go to no one at all, he found, you have a 73% chance of being well. And, and, and this, this, this went off like a bomb in the psychology community because it, it, it like, what are we doing? We're, we're not helping people. The people we're going to seem to keep us sick. It's better not to go to so, someone else. That's what this study showed. And, and I'm not knocking therapy. I'm not knocking counselors because they're, they're very important people. And, and, and they're very important people. And there's some really good ones out there. I'm not knocking that. But why is this study? Why, why did they find this? Well, this is what I think. Is that the social sciences have tended to neglect the main parts of the gospel, you all. Uh, but therapists and counselors tend to ask the wrong question. They ask, what has happened to you in the past that has made you this way? In that, you know, you, you, get the, you get the image of the guy laying on the couch kind of talking about his childhood and that kind of stuff. It's always about what has happened to you in the past that has made you this way. Well, um, when I was at the Center College, we had a professor who's really into this stuff. Really into this stuff. Uh, he was a brilliant man, and there's nothing more entertaining than watching a brilliant man trying to expound upon a stupid idea. It was, it was, it was great. I, his big thing, he was, a, he was a Freudian, for those of you that, that know anything about psychology. He was a Freudian. We heard a lot about moms, okay? We really did. And, but his big thing was toilet training. And, and I remember sitting in his lecture one time, Students, he said, the first demand that society ever makes on an individual is toilet training. That's true. That is true. He's right so far. And he said, this becomes symbolic of all demands that society will place on the individual. And uh, the mother becomes the conveyor of all of, of societal demands on the individual. And and she watch as she pleads for, with the child for compliance. Do it for mommy. Do it for mommy. You can just see him. You know. And then he said, and then rebellion is bred in the child as a child looks up and says, no. <laughs> and, then, 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 and then the child begins to work and work. I'm, I'm serious. This guy is saying this in a, in a college class. And he says, works on it, and then he produces, I'll never forget, produces the gift. I've never heard of it as a gift before. And then this professor said this, and what class does society do with this gift that this child has produced? Does it honor it? No. The child learns that everything is produced has no value as its gift is flush. And my classmates are writing this down. I'm thinking the only gift being produced is what you're saying, man. I mean, that's a big gift that he was producing up there. Well, the thing is, you all, are we simply 
products of our past? Are we condemned to the things that have happened to us or the things we have done? I say not. The gospel says not. And the gospel tells us a completely different story. The gospel tells us more important than our past is our future, namely the purpose and the goal that we are moving towards. All of us know people that are really struggling, really having a difficult time, and have completely turned it around, not because they've understood their past, but because they got turned on to some great vision, some great purpose that has been laid before them, and they go after it. True? Isn't that what truly moves you on is your future? And the gospel says it. Um, I know people who have been in therapy for years and years and never gotten any better. And then all of a sudden, boom, they get turned on to this grand vision that God has for them. And that's why this, this what, what Paul says here, he, when he says, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press onward toward the goal to win the prize for Christ. God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Remember what Paul had in his past. He was a killer of Christians. People like you and me. He arrested us and killed us. That's what he did. That was what was in his past. And that is what he is talking about when he says, forgetting what is behind. I'm forgetting all of my legalism, all my murderous ways, all my hatred, all my self-righteousness. I'm, I'm forgetting all of that, and I'm straining towards what is ahead. Because if I focus on my past, I will be nothing. That is what he is saying here. This is what will help you overcome the past, a great goal, a great vision, a great purpose. So do you have that, people? Do you have that? Do you have this vision, this purpose that God has given you? That is what is more important, far more important than your past, is where you are going. Okay? We have limited time and limited energy, and we need to stop giving time and energy things we can't do anything about. If it's in the past, we can't do anything about it. I don't know about you, but I've been unsuccessful in my 45 years of trying to change the past. What is more important is where we are going and what we are doing. And guys, we must also be able to extend grace to people whose past is less than stellar, right? Many times we're the reason, unfortunately, we're the reason why people can't get over the past. We keep bringing up things, keep bringing up mistakes, keep bringing up times they've failed, using words like you always, you never. This is just like the time when. Sound familiar? Well, you know, but I do need to take just a second. I need to brag on the church because the church does an amazing job in this department. Oh, I I, I know what everyone says. I know the popular thought is the church just beats up on people and church is so judgmental. Really? Really? I beg to differ. Think about it. Who cheers the loudest when someone is baptized? Us. We love that kind of stuff, don't we? Who absolutely loves testimonies of changed lives? In fact, in church, the worse you are, the more we love you. Like, I'm serious. The worse you used to be, the more we're like, yes, come on in here. I don't know any other place that is that way. Uh, I've heard testimonies of convicted murderers who have found Christ testifying church, and the church explodes with applause. I've never, ever after hearing a testimony or seeing a baptism or anything, seeing a person in the church saying, well, that person shouldn't be here. Uh Uh-uh. No. 
And in fact, I know no, no other organization, no other group of people who are as kind, as forgiving, as accepting as church people are. Believe me, I'm a pastor. I've been the recipient of more grace, more forgiveness, more acceptance by church people than anyone else I know. I am amazed at how quick church people are to forgive, to look past my faults, to look past, uh, uh, to extend grace, to love me in spite of my mistakes, my moods, snapping at people. Is there anyone in here who has been the undeserved recipient of grace and understanding? I'm talking undeserved, where you are clearly in the wrong and people have forgiven you anyway. Is there anyone in here who's been the recipient of that in the, in, 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 because of church people? I wanna see hands. Absolutely, absolutely. Church who are full of people who have no earthly reason to forgive you or love you or accept you, but they still do it anyway. To this world, I simply say the church is the greatest place in the world. Put it down all you want, I say to the world. You know, you find a mean person here and a mean person there and, and say, well, that's the way that, you, that, that Christians are, but and we all know them, but know this, there's no other group of people that is kind and forgiving and accepting as the church is. And we have to continue that because forgetting what is behind and straying towards what is ahead, we focus on the future and we help people do that. All right? That's we have to understand that. The second thing, that we have to understand about the, the fact that the past paralyzes you, but faith in God energizes you. The second is that we have to allow God to heal us, and we have to embrace his grace. And this is one of the most difficult things I've found in life. How many of you all are better at forgiving other people than you are yourself? I, I, how many of us would say that we are the hardest people to forgive. I can forgive someone else much quicker than I can forgive myself. Can I, am, I, am I in a support group full of, of, of people that can't seem to forgive? Absolutely. We are the hardest people to forgive. And so guys, this is what I'm saying to all of you people that are struggling to forgive yourself. We embrace his grace. Lamentations 3, 22 through 23 says this, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. If you are dealing with your past, if you are dealing with mistakes and failures in the, in the, in the past, God's mercies were new this morning. Did you know that? And guess what? They'll be new tomorrow morning. And they will be new tomorrow morning. And the next day, God's mercies are new every morning. See, guys, I want to see our past failures become powerful testimonies of the future. That's what I want. What, what, what are your best stories? I want to ask, what are your best stories? Are they the ones where you did everything flawlessly? Or are they the ones where you have screwed up royally and kind of fought your way out of it? Or by the grace of God, you've overcome it. Aren't those your best stories? Well, guys, those are the kind of the trials that God wants to turn into testimonies. Uh, let's say you, you, can, you have a choice between two movies, all right? Which one are you going to go see? The, the first one is a person goes scuba diving and sees some nice fish, swims around, takes some nice pictures, and then gets back in the boat. You're going to go see that movie? Or the second one, a person goes 47 meters down, gets trapped in a shark cage with all kinds of risk and horrors, and you don't know what's going to happen next. Which one are you going to go see? The second one. I know that because it's in the movies right now, and people are going to see it, all right? Your best stories are the times that you have screwed up the worst 
and you've allowed God to turn that into a testimony. Your best stories aren't the ones where you did everything correctly. Your best stories are where you learned a painful lesson, where you made mistakes, and you turn those stories around. I don't know if you all know the significance of this day in my life. Uh, September 15th is the, uh, is, is the, the date that my, my son died 15 years ago. Today, he, he died 15 years ago today. And um, one of the things that I've reflected on, we, we, we had him for 10 days. He was alive 10 days. And on September 13th of 2004, uh, it was a Monday. I'd been in the NICU every day with him and, and, and everything. We had two small girls, uh, the Casey and Elsie were small at the time, uh, back in home. We were trying to keep life as normal for them as possible. And so on the Monday um, that he was in the NICU, I didn't go to see him. I regard this as my biggest failure in life, not just as a father, but in life. Um, I don't know really why I went to work that day. He was having surgery the next day. I, I, I think maybe I'd been out of the office and I thought what I was doing was so important. I was a youth minister. And, or maybe it was the fact that I was sensitive to people saying that pastors don't really work. They don't have a real job. And I wanted to counteract that. I, 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 don't, I don't know why I really did that, but I went to the office and worked a full day and I didn't see my son who was fighting for his life in the NICU. See, I, I, I thought he was going to live. I didn't think in my wildest dreams that he would die two days later. Uh, I thought we'd have him for a long time. I thought I'd take him to school and I thought that I would watch him get married and, and, and live a long life. I, 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 really, I really did. I thought that was my thinking at the time. And I wound up missing 10% of his life. Life for 10 days, I didn't even see him that day. And I wish you all that I could go back and change that. I wish if I had to do it over again, I would do it very, very differently. But I can't. I can't do anything about it. And I just have to ask God to forgive me, and I have to ask God for the power and the strength to allow me to forgive myself. I, to this day, 15 years later, I'm still carrying that burden, that I let my son down when he needed me the most, and he died two days later, and I can't do anything about it. Learning to forgive yourself is the most difficult lesson you'll ever learn. And the only thing that I can say is that it's times like this that the grace of God becomes so precious and so sweet and so amazing realizing that what I believe to be my biggest failure that I can make no excuse for is washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, that there is forgiveness, that God's mercy was new this morning for me. His mercy was new this morning. And if I lapse back into beating myself up, his mercy will be there tomorrow too. 
and the next day and the next day. And for what you are carrying, the burdens on your shoulders, the mistakes, the unforgivables in your past, I can only say this, that makes the grace of God that much more precious. And I ask you to run after it, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. We press on to take the prize for which Jesus Christ has called us heavenward. I'm gonna invite the band to come on back up. Our past can paralyze us. I know that for a fact because every time I walk in to teach my fatherhood class, I don't know if it's Satan in my ear or just my own thoughts, saying, who are you to teach about being a father? Who are you to stand up there and say, this is how you raise your kids? You let your son down. And that happens every time I walk into the jail, every time. And the only thing I can do is when that pops into my mind is I claim the grace of God, that my past does not dictate my future. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ today, your past does not dictate your future either. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. I want to invite you to stand. And as we go back to the Lord and, and, and worship, I want you to keep that in the back of your mind.